0: Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we get in touch with our inhumanity, go back to square one, find out what's going on in the afterlife with Reborn, and see how Dr. Doom is doing. Stay tuned for all this and more. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah! Comics Podcast.
1: Heck yeah!
0: Where uh, I'm over here, I'm David, and that is Moose over there. That is uh, that is correct. That's that's Moose. That's apparently what we call have him.
1: I, how have I not told you that my work You've nickname is Moose? Never
0: told me that your work nickname is Moose.
1: I'm pretty sure I could go back over the last year and find a text where this has come up, and then you're just going to feel like a terrible friend.
0: Probably not. That Plus, doesn't... there's probably so many times that I've mentioned stuff to you that you've forgotten about my life. Oh,
1: plenty of things you've mentioned. Probably most of the things you've mentioned, I don't
0: like, remember. Like, I just want to tell the listeners how often you and I are playing Overwatch, and you know we've got we've got the earpiece in, and we're talking, and then... We will be trying to escort the payload. And then you will suddenly say, when we're nearing the end, like, wait a minute, we're not trying to stop the payload? Or you have no idea what the objective on the map is. It is it is a constant, constant struggle. That Nick is so selfish, he doesn't care about even what the rest of his team is trying to do. He's just trying to, to kill bitches.
1: <laughs> you know... It's been, it's, it's something I need to work on in my character. Just my apparently complete, and it's weird because are t- situations where I'm like, wow, I was really, really observant about X, whatever, you know? Uh-huh. And then, but then it's just like, apparently that's only when my guard is up, but it's just like when I'm just kind of like laying on the floor, my melatonin pills setting in and I'm playing Overwatch and I'm just like, <laughs> I've just been moving around in circles. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's a pretty terrible thing. Um I do remember the name of your company, but I'm not going to say it over the air. Uh, I have already said it on the air. I
0: have not, and that I that is it's probably not difficult information to discover, but I still am not going to outright say who I work for. Um, no, that's fine,
1: just just as long as also, you know that I know.
0: Also, if I were to mention it, uh all the listeners would have to be killed because it is a top secret organization. Yeah called mcdonald's how dare you i do not work for mcdonald's i have worked i have worked fast food in my life though that was a dark time uh (laughs) i think for for everybody who had any sort of contact with me
1: and the food that touched your hands (laughs) i was i was Um, in the
0: kitchen for the first like year and a half that i worked at chick-fil-a
1: and
0: as far as i know nobody uh, died
1: as far as you know, however, the death toll in Virginia has skyrocketed, so there's and, that.
0: Yet we were still so busy. Um,
1: <laughs> people love dying, I guess. Yeah. Um, but to get back to the point of why I was called Moose, the short story, if I'm ever able to tell a short story, is that uh, when I started at my current job, um, there was actually multiple nicks on my team, and so another new hire like me, just took it upon himself to come up with names for everyone and everyone always finds my last name to be a hoot to play with. and he settled on share mooseness, share mooseness. So I became moose. to the point where my boss calls me moose, uh, when I get like a thank you note or like a thank you from my company, uh, it has moose on it. So it's pretty well ingrained, and I'm okay with it. I feel like it's kind of a I, – I, I almost phrase it as a history with my family and our last name because my sister gets called Smushy, uh, that, and that was derived from our last name, Cher So, But obviously it's not really a history. If it's only two people that's gotten a nickname out of it, though. Mm-hmm. I'm so, so sure you, there are others, but
0: – You were correct. What should have been just a quick short story you did drag on – Needlessly.
1: And that is a talent. That is a talent
0: that you possess. And as, as what, what was I saying, Nick?
1: Um, you weren't saying anything. I was saying, no, I don't remember. What was I going to say?
0: You know what I'm going to say? That we should talk about some news. Yeah, that's fair. That people come here. They expect the first five to 10 minutes like all right i just gotta I just gotta get through that, just gotta get through them babbling, and then they'll get on to stuff that I care about <sighs> so here is uh here is your reward Our
1: top story tonight A man who was swallowed whole by a whale escaped today by running all the way down to the end until he was pooped out.
0: Oh right, our first news story for the night is coming out of Marvel television, and that is that they are no longer doing the Inhumans movie, as people have long suspected, but they are instead going to do Marvel's The Inhumans on ABC. This is being developed uh, in joint between Disney, ABC, and IMAX. Uh, So the first two episodes of the new ABC series will premiere exclusively in IMAX theaters for a two-week window in late summer 2017, and then the show will begin to air in the fall. Uh, Yeah, it'll air weekly in the fall after that, with additional exclusive content that can only be seen on the network. Uh, now, for those who watch Agents of Shield, you you've seen Inhumans on there, uh, but they are not spinning off those characters, those Inhumans on their own. They are actually going to be looking at the royal family, the traditional, uh, you know, the traditional Inhumans that, well, that that were that were around before Marvel decided that Inhumans were essentially mutants, uh, and. and Nick, do you think that it is possible to do a, a a Royal Family Inhumans show on a TV budget?
1: On a, like, an ABC TV budget? Uh, I can tell you one character we're not going to be seeing a lot of, if potentially any. Uh, that would be Lockjaw, their giant teleporting dog. Mm. Uh, he certainly, if they do bring him in, I don't know how good he's going to look. And only if, like, if he was the only budget... Like thing that the this, this, the uh, CGI budget was going towards, they could probably make a great lockjaw. But if they're doing the royal family, including people like Triton um, or Gorgon, um, then then definitely like they're and obviously everyone's projectile powers are doing crazy stunts and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know. I'm lukewarm to the idea of an Inhumans TV show. Um, well the idea in the sense that Marvel's been promoting Inhumans heavily in the comics since their infinity event. Uh, and certainly, and we're not really going to get into any conspiracies out there about them marginalizing the X-Men for the Inhumans because a movie and TV rights or whatever. But, um, I, I haven't like felt a strong, uh, I, I haven't felt any gra- gravity towards the, the expanded Inhumans concept. So this is definitely a wait and see for me. Um, I mean, I've been enjoying the Netflix shows, but even that sheen has worn off a bit. Um, and when it comes to Marvel's, like, actual TV fare, like, I've tried to get into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a couple, few times now, and, and it just, like, kind of keeps repelling me back. So, obviously, people are enjoying those things, and this might be something that's more up their alley, but uh, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about them bringing the Inhumans to the TV show. Uh it it could still work. That's why I'm saying it's a wait and see. The movie would have probably been a spectacular thing to see. But I I guess we will we'll never know what an inhuman movie, Inhumans humans movie would have yeah. uh, would have entailed.
0: Yeah, now dealing with an ensemble cast, I I suit I do see that there are advantages that a TV show brings. You can kind of uh you know, let stuff breathe a little bit more. Uh, and, and and really kind of dig into the depths of the relationships that you know something like the royal family is going to have some confusing and convoluted ones mm-hmm. um what just before moving on here though i want to ask uh your thoughts on this whole imax thing that uh that the first couple episodes of there are they are going to apparently put a lot of effort behind these first two episodes uh do you think that People are going to. I mean, they're they're going to treat this as a movie. This is kind of their sneak in, right? It's not exactly the Inhumans movie, but people are going to kind of get confused and think it is, and then see like, no, no to catch the next, to see what happens next. Watch ABC next week to see what happens. Now, now, do you think they're also going to re-air the first two episodes, or you're going to have to have seen them in IMAX and pay thirty dollars?
1: I think that they will re-air them. I think they'll re-air them and then lead it into the series. Um, I think the because they're only doing it for two weeks, you know, it's it's not like a formal movie release where it's in every theater for like two, three months and then it's gone. Um so it's definitely a special occasion and I imagine they'll draw a big crowd. I think because of the nicheness of it, like they're gonna draw probably their tv fans and then some like diehard comic fans but certainly not i think a wider audience so i'd probably argue there's enough there of people that will that will go and watch it it's a pretty interesting move in a way i guess you get your inhumans movie you know you get your cake and you eat it too um but obviously one thing that could be a bit if like they do i mean imax like you don't really want to put you know shoestring TV budget graphics up on an IMAX screen. Like if you're going Mm -hmm. IMAX, like they better bring the budget to those two episodes on the flip side. If once it goes to TV and their budget is greatly reduced and they can't do all the same things they could do in the two hour movie or, or, you know, the first two episodes, then you're going to be like, what a great experience. It's only been a letdown since.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and really it'll be about an hour. Obviously
1: again, that's why, sorry. No,
0: Well, yeah, I was going to say it's going to be about an hour and a half, but you know, with the pilot, they'll probably stretch that out to an hour. So it'll, it'll be close to a two hour experience probably in the theaters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, again, it's a wait and see thing. I mean, the news itself for me personally, isn't making me like, Oh, it's what I've been waiting for. It's, it's just, Oh, Interesting inhumans movie and then t or you know lead in imax experience to a tv show Ooh. for those people that are excited about inhumans though like all the power to you at the end of the day i never wish ill on anyone i hope it's uh, it's I hope it's good uh, i hope it does well and it's
0: what marvel's looking for and any final thoughts david uh what what happened to the inhuman who stepped on a rusty nail what he got lockjaw Chris
1: Maloney is set to star in the Grant Morrison adaptation of his book, well, in the television adaptation of Grant Morrison's book Happy that he uh created with Derek Robinson. Uh we've mentioned that the Happy TV show was happening uh for those that don't remember, Happy is a was a book about um I actually don't have a synopsis up in front of me. It was basically about like a hitman, right, that imagined like a cartoon blue horse. No, no, no. A unhappy. a
0: a girl's imaginary friend came to him and uh, and to, to guide him to her because she was uh, being held by like a serial killer or a psychopath of some nature.
1: Right, 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 right. Okay, so what David said apply that to Chris Maloney to star and happy. And Chris Maloney is a guy that has a great range as an actor. So I feel like he will serve this role. Well,
0: yeah, I'm looking, um, I'm looking, I'm trying to see, you know what I could say that people would know him from immediately. He really, law and it, Order SVU. Oh yeah. That's a big one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Wet, hot American summer, Wet hot American summer. Man, Man of steel. He,
0: yep. He, he is a big, um, that guy, you know, obviously law and order SVU. He was on 272 episodes um but you know if, if, if looking at his resume he was in all the Harold and Kumar movies uh he's been just in in a in a ton of of random stuff so when i heard the name i had no idea who it was and the second i saw him i i had an oh that guy moment uh he was also in Oz yeah i think uh, I think this
1: is on multiple seasons of True Blood. I didn't know that. Well,
0: I didn't watch True Blood, so how would I? And that's weird for you because you watched them all.
1: I haven't watched all of True Blood.
0: I'm yeah, sure. I'm no, not. Sure. I'm not
1: caught up. I'm on like season four.
0: Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so
1: but maybe he comes in on season four. But he
0: he certainly has the right look for this character. Uh, for, of of Nick Sachs is the guy's name, and one thing that I thought was really interesting that I came across while finding this new story is that this is the first live action adaptation of any Grant Morrison original work. Uh, and that is fascinating to me given the guy's, you know, popularity, he, like Morrison con or whatever it was called that happened in Vegas. Uh, it's just that this is the first time any of his things have and I will I will admit they are all they are all very hard to understand drug trips. So maybe that makes studios a little wary. But hopefully this opens the door for much more Grant Morrison goodness to hit the screen. Yeah,
1: no, it's and as you mentioned, it's interesting that this is Grant Morrison.
0: something just happened.
1: Nick, Uh, a video just started playing in the background on my
0: computer, and I
1: was like, "What the heck is going on?" I had no
0: idea what that was. There, I was, I was very confused. I'm like, "Oh, Nick's having a stroke!" So I'm just gonna have to keep doing the show through this.
1: Oh man! Oh, um, you had mentioned before the show that it's interesting that, like, for all of Grant Morrison's like crazy good ideas and his very prolific career, this is the first of his work that's actually being adapted into a, Uh a live action production. So.
0: Yeah, it's I just not interesting that it took so long. I I just said pretty much that exact same statement. Did you? Were you, re- what man? You were, no. what were <laughs> no, you doing? Wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 wait! You were breaking out, and I was just waiting to see if it would kind of finish uh-huh, itself. huh.
0: sure. No, no, I swear this happened. Sure. Well, you know, we're not we're not gonna focus. We're not gonna focus on the fact that you're not again a. Again, Nick, you are not paying attention to the people around you.
1: <sighs> well, you sound like a friendship of mine that recently ended.
0: Um... <laughs> it got way too real. For just a moment there.
1: Um, Uh, That's throwing myself under the bus. I'm going to move on to the next. You you were coming all choppy, and I was like, I feel like I kind of understand what he's saying, but I'm going to see if it doesn't fix itself in a second. And and then it did, so I was like, okay. But apparently I didn't catch that you mentioned that uh, this was Grant Morrison's first. Live action yeah. adaptation.
0: I'm gonna move on to our next news story now. Do you have any other thoughts? Yeah, no, this is a
1: this is a good one, David. I'm um, paying uh, attention.
0: Okay, this this is a very cool one. Uh, Oni Press has announced Square One. Uh, so Oni Press, which is Portland's premier independent comic book publisher, has announced their new Square One program, which is a line of ten dollar volume one graphic novels and one dollar first issues designed to introduce new readers to a wide variety of the company's leading titles. Uh, the first round will uh, be released in February and March of 2017. And the books that are coming out there uh, are Invader Zim, num- issue number one, uh, Kaiju Max, issue number one, Letter 44, volume number one, uh, and and Letter 44, issue number one, as well as The Life After Issue number one and volume one. Uh, th- these sort of ideas are not new. There's other companies who have done sort of the same idea: first issues being, um, you know, re-releasing first issues for a dollar, or I think all of um, images graphic novels first volumes are ten dollars, right? They're generally. Oh, uh, with
1: re- images they do the nine ninety nine thing, yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah, so this is not necessarily a new idea, but I think it is a really good idea. Uh it is it is very helpful for people to pick up that first volume if they look at it. Oh, it's only ten dollars. Yeah, that, that's an easy justifiable purchase. Uh I, I think that this this will probably be I can see this being very successful for them.
1: Yeah, I feel only presses that, that company that obviously turns out high quality, typically they're kind of like a company almost built around Like you know, the way that like there are certain movies that come out that are all like sort of geared towards with the Oscars in mind. They're like creative. I'm not. This this is maybe kind of being kind of facetious, but like they're always sort of like high, high literature. Not in every single case, but it's just kind of company that when they turn out their independent books, it feels like they're you know they're always like a page away from an Eisner win. Um, But it's cool because I definitely miss out on a lot of ani books that I just apparently marvel dc and image take up all my time and, and eyeballs um but you know definitely a good thing for ani press to try and get uh more of their books in people's hands and hopefully helps their business grow
0: absolutely uh,
1: so that is very cool and uh to round off our uh, news stories marvel has announced a trio of new titles to complement their ongoing daredevil serials featuring prominent members of daredevil's porn cast, primarily his villains. I mean, mm-hmm. you can kind of say Electra kind of goes back and forth on that. She's not, she's never really been a true she's, villain. She's, but... the,
0: she's the cat woman of, of daredevil. daredevil. Yeah. You know, you know, she's
1: certainly an anti-hero. Um, though, did, but... did you read Batman this week? Uh, I did. Yeah. They've, yeah.
0: they've straight up turned cat woman into a killer, but, Discussion for another time. On another with the time. new story.
1: So basically you've got an Electra number one, a Kingpin number one, and a Bullseye. Bullseye number one. Uh, this is part of their Running with the Devil initiative starting in February of 2017. Uh, kingpin will be written by Matthew Rosenberg, um, who uh, wrote uh, a book that I, is, that I really enjoyed, um, We Can Never Go Home. Um, I don't have the artist in front of me about who, who drew that book, but I mean, if you haven't checked it out, "We Can Never Go Home" by Matthew Rosenberg. Uh, I'll find the artist before the end of the show. Uh, great, great, great book. And I've heard good things. He's been doing a Kingpin miniseries as part of Civil War Two, and I've heard good things about that. So I imagine elements of that are leading into his ongoing Kingpin book. Um sorry, Kingpin by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Ben Torres. That's for Kingpin. I still have to figure it out for We Can Never Go Home. Also, Bullseye, written by Ed Brisson with art by Guillermo Sana. Um, so that'll be interesting. I I don't know if I've read anything by Ed Brisson. He's a name I see pop up, definitely with a lot of independent work, I think a lot for image. Um, but I have not read his stuff. So can't speak to the overall quality of his work. But uh, I did read like an interview with him, and it seems like he has a pretty good handle on Bullseye, which is really batshit crazy. Um, obviously, I feel like with Bullseye, it's a hard character to make a book around him when he doesn't necessarily have a depth of personality. He's basically a crazy guy with good aim, mm-hmm. um, and he, there's really nothing redeemable about him. Nor I feel like he's a character that doesn't need to be redeemed. So we will see there. And then, of course, we've got a lecture written by Matt Owens with art from Alec Morgan, two creators I'm also not familiar with. Um, This lecture is also going to be patented after her Netflix debut, so she's Mm -hmm. wearing a a uniform that's more or less exactly what she wears in Netflix. And that's basically it. Um, I don't have a lot of strong feelings on these books. I was reading The Dare the... The uh, Daredevil book that came out of Secret Wars with Charles Soule, and like I was enjoying it, but it just wasn't like lighting me on fire. So I've kind of dipped it for now, and I might check it back out again, like when it ends up on Marvel Unlimited. But it just it wasn't holding my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the quality of Daredevil doesn't impact the quality of these books, but um, well, I'm not going to say that, like, Electra looks better in her classic outfit, because obviously it doesn't make a lot of sense for, like, a spy assassin person. Um, it is very iconic, and I, and while her Netflix outfit isn't bad per se, you know, I felt like, I feel like they could have done something where instead of just pattern after the Netflix outfit, they could have done something closer to her classic outfit, but obviously finding a way to tweak it more for a modern, more, um, utilitarian sensibility. Uh, I kind of look at him like, oh, that's movie that that's, that's Netflix Electra. doesn't feel like comic Electra to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we shall see. And I'm looking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, looking at these announcements, uh, not to say that there won't be some interesting stuff that comes out of this, but I definitely have the feeling that a lot of this is going to just end up being, or at least Two of these are going to end up just being eight-issue miniseries. Uh, if if I were to say any one of these really has the potential to keep going, that would be Electra because Electra has had ongoings before, and they do have stuff. That
1: didn't last very long. I mean, yeah. I mean, the last book she had a year, like a couple like year or two ago that ended was I think
0: made it to twelve issues.
1: Right. A little below, a little below. Well, it's like it's
0: it's Marvel. It's hard to call anything an ongoing with them that's not, you know. <laughs> Captain America or or Iron Man uh, to say ongoing for them is anything that does make it to 12 issues or beyond Uh, but yeah I really don't see Kingpin and Bullseye you know becoming lasting very long right becoming names that were like oh do check out Kingpin number 32 it's probably going to (laughs) be you know an 8 issue series and and that'll be fine there'll be interesting stories they can tell right there and hey maybe they'll be super popular and they'll keep going but I'm not going to hold
1: my breath I'm not holding my breath. I think it's not another way to get too deep into a conversation, but I think the idea that we put a certain level of emphasis on a book lasting for like a single volume lasting for a long time, obviously from a comic man's perspective, there's a cool thing about being like, I'm picking up amazing Spider-Man number 600 something. And you know, like you feel like you've—it's just been this long, continuous strand. Whereas Marvel has adopted this more seasonal approach: seasonal for some books, not not seasonal for others. But the idea that they kind of look at the market, see that it's a struggling market, but still want to try new ideas, and they can say, "Hey, we're going to do a kingpin book. We're going to quote unquote announce it as an ongoing because typically, ongoings get a bit better traction than just the miniseries. Right? Because people don't um, wait for the
0: people just don't wait for the collected volume if they think it's going to be an ongoing
1: yeah exactly um i think it's gonna be a series. um so it's like matthew rosenberg as an example could come in here and tell a really really good self-contained short and sweet kingpin story whether it lasts six issues eight issues 12 issues or even a little bit beyond but he kind of comes and tells the story he needs to tell and then goes you know, that there's definitely nothing wrong with that kind of storytelling or that kind of serializing of a book. Uh I feel like a lot of people will look at that and I'm not saying that you personally are feeling it, but it's like the eldest disappointed, like, oh no way Kingpin is lasting that long. And it's like, who gives a shit? Like as right. long as however long it lasts is really good. No, and if absolutely. they write it with that in mind, you know what I mean? Like I can't imagine the people write it read that are writing for Electra, Kingpin, and Bullseye are naive enough to think that these books are going to have long shelf lives. So if they can just go and be like, hey, I have a really good 8 to 12-issue story, let me tell it, and obviously we'll see where it goes from there, have a backup plan. Um, But, you know, I'm just saying people should stop being a stick in the mud when it comes to, like, a book being announced as an ongoing, like, oh, it's not going to last more than a year. And it's like, well, hopefully it's a good year either way. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, There's like my one bit of posi- positivity in this episode. Because I feel like <laughs> once we start talking about comics, it's going to go downhill.
0: It, it might a little bit here. Uh, sorry. I, I'm just looking at something here that I, that I just came across. Apparently there was some trade, uh, that, so Fox controls of numerous blah, 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 blah. So, sorry. Uh,
1: they
0: uh, trade Negasonic teenage, teenage Warhead, Warhead for, for Ego, the Living Planet. Planet. I did not know this happened, and that is very interesting. Apparently, though, they had a they had no backup plan if Deadpool trade didn't work out, according to James Gunn. Uh, just thought that was interesting, and a little bit of trivia for you to tell your friends uh, at at the next party you were invited to. You comic book nerd. Well, we are going to now move on and talk about some books that came out this week. As soon as I find the correct bumper for it, here we go.
1: To the Batmobile. Let's go.
0: All right. Traditionally, we start with Nick, and why would this week be any different? Why don't we just jump into the, the poll list? I the most Nick?
1: important person on this podcast.
0: That's not so, what I said at all.
1: Also, did I cut you off because you were chopping again?
0: No, you're fine. What? Just go ahead and talk about Infamous Iron Man number two and try not to take up the rest of the episode doing so.
1: No guarantees. Um, but long story short, Infamous Iron Man number two was written by Brian Michael Bendis and drawn by Alex Mayleve. And my brief synopsis is nothing. Nothing happens. I mean, obviously, stuff happens, but I didn't like any of it. I didn't feel it wasn't a compelling narrative. It didn't make me, I didn't get to the end and be like, Oh my God, I can't wait to figure out what happens next. It was just for a book. That's such a batshit crazy idea, you know? Uh, and, and I, I know like I already talked about issue one and I was kind of lukewarm on issue one. And I really was just like, Oh, you know what, Nick, I'm going to give it one more issue and just, and just see if it can light my world on fire. It did not. um, just because I feel like the best way to kind of describe it, obviously I encourage you, if you're really interested to go out and read the book, pick up a copy, um, and see what you think for yourself. Uh, I'm just going to hit a couple of points in the book that I I read and I was like, really? So for example, the opening did not get off to a good start. It involves Ben Grimm, also known as the thing from the fantastic four, who is now an agent of shield shows up at a Latverian, um, which is the country that Dr. Doom formerly run, ran, ran, um, Shows up at a Latvarian embassy and starts messing with some diplomats where where because he's trying to find Doctor Doom and they're like, we don't know where he is, we don't know where he is. His response to this is to knock over priceless, very old, very priceless bases that are like very historical for Latvarians. He just knocks them over and breaks them to make the diplomats sweat and tell them tell him where Doctor Doom is. I don't think they ultimately end up telling him where Dr. Doom is. I mean, it cuts away anyway, but like Bingram, I mean, obviously Marvel heroes are like people with bits of clay. So Bingram's, you know, has a license to kind of make mistakes. He's always had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. he always wears his heart on his sleeve. And I realize he really, really, really hates Dr. Doom. And he sees him making sort of a mockery of a heroic identity, even though I don't think Bingram's ever had strong feelings toward Tony Stark or Iron Man. You know, he's just, he knows that Von Doom is out there and active regardless of what kind of alignment he's currently aligned with. And, but here he is knocking over priceless artifacts just to mess with these guys when they, they like, like, it's just like, I just was like, banger Really? I mean, like again, ancient artifacts, like they're not, I literally think of videos where I see like terrorist groups, like ISIS destroying ancient artifacts and, 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 and things that you can't replace. And to me, and that just makes me look at Ben Grimm again, and
0: just be like, "Come on!" Uh, and this is what Nick meant, apparently, by things freezing. Uh, this is rather annoying. So hold on just a moment while we get this fixed up. Okay, and we are back. Sorry about that, everybody. Nick, why don't you go ahead and continue talking <laughs> about Ben Grimm and, and infamous Iron Man Numero um, Dos.
1: Um... I'm splaining right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. So anyway, Ben Grimm apparently uh just yeah wants to destroy ancient artifacts. I've already said that a hundred times. Um. It just kind of gets worse from there, and and, and worse in a sense that like that that part really riled me up. But then like there's a, a scene where Doom is hunting down another Z-list uh, Fantastic Four villain, the Mad Thinker, uh, finds him no. in a bunker or tr- tracks him down to a bunker and basically is like change your ways or I'm going to kill you. And then it basically ends with an explosion of the, the bunker. So clearly like, I mean, he's killed off panel. I feel like Thinker is that like one character that is always like the go to mad scientist. So he's probably not actually dead, but it it does end with doom exiting his, the, the mad thinkers bunker. And there's just these two random kids wandering a Bolivian junkyard at night. Yeah. Um, before they get attacked by one of the mad thinkers robots and doom stops it. And he's all like making sure no harm will come to others is relatively new to me. Oh, thanks doom. Um, but again, why are, I mean, I I don't really have a strong understanding of Bolivia. I'm going to go on a limb and assume that Bendis might also not have a strong view of Bolivia um, (laughs) or strong image of Bolivia. Um, but why two kids are wandering a junkyard at night? Uh, I mean, kids do stupid stuff. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it was just kind of a weird scene. And unfortunately the way that Alex mainly drew the kids was like, like there was like the, the final scene with them where like, uh, where doom just kind of flies off in his Iron Man suit or whatever. They're just kind of like, and his artwork, it was just so static in the panel. Like you didn't really get a a strong sense of uh, expression. They just looked like, like their faces were just malformed or something. Um, which it was weird, um, but it, the thing is, it
0: gets even worse. <laughs> but how
1: uh, so, relatively new Iron Man supporting character Amara, and I forget her last name, she was an MIT scientist who's now working in Cambridge, England. Um, she's walking home with groceries. I mean, it appears to be evening or nighttime when she's doing this, which is fair uh, again. I don't have a strong um, image of Cambridge, England. Again, I don't think Bendis has a strong image of Cambridge, Cambridge, England, but she's walking home with a groceries, gets up to her door. Someone says, Amara, not yelling at her, just as far as the text can convey. It's just saying Amara. She turns around, pulls a gun out and just fires, like freaks out and shoots, ends up shooting Dr. Doom in the arm. And then she starts freaking out like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I shot you in the arm. Like you pulled a gun out in public on a street corner and shot someone who was standing like they, 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 they expand the scene. So she's up on her stoop and he's on, he's just on the sidewalk. Like, obviously he could have run up there real quick. Like if someone was going to attack her, but again, it didn't look like he was yelling Amara, like angry at her or anything. It was just Amara. And she turns around and pops off a gun. Yeah. Like, it, does, it just didn't make any sense. And she could have fired off and not even hit him. She could have hit someone else that just happened to be passing by or someone across the street. Like, it was just, like, okay, this character isn't, she's, I mean, not to say that, like, super scientists or anything can't make idiotic decisions. But, like, it just was a poorly set, uh, executed scene. Um. So, anyway, she lets Dr. Doom into her apartment to, like, treat his wound. And he's like, man, man, I'm fine, I'm fine. Is kind of cryptic. It was like this is gonna be the last time you ever see me. And then poof, it gets worse. Ben Grimm comes blasting through the door, through a wall into the apartment just to get at Doctor Doom, and which Doctor Doom, which he like tries to hit him, and then Doctor Doom has some sort of magic counterattack. When then the final page of the book, spoilers, is just like clearly like shit hitting the fan inside the apartment, like weird magic lights breaking out of the windows. So really. Ben Grimm is just the villain of this whole thing, destroying priceless artifacts uh, and destabilizing apartment buildings in Cambridge, England. Um, you know, it's, I, I really just kind of ran through the whole book and I'm sorry that I totally did what I always said I'm never going to do, but I did it anyway. But that's why it's just like reading this book. I needed like this a therapy session to kind of just be like, this was frustrating to read because as much as I like Bendis, his work is hit or miss with me, but I know that like when he hits, he really hits. And this book was just like, come on, man! There was just so many, I felt, issues with it. People are loving it great, but I mean just reading it, it, it really shouldn't be the infamous Iron Man. It should be the jerk-tastic thing. Um, but we're probably not going to get something so awesome as that. So I will say that at this point I am cutting ties with this book. Uh, I might uh with spare time if like whenever the you know eventual eight issue, twelve issue volume ends, catch it on Marvel Unlimited when it gets on there. But I I I personally cannot recommend this book. I think it took a really cool, crazy idea and I know it's only been two issues, but you can do a lot with forty pages and it has not been done with this book, in my opinion. So moving on,
0: David mm-hmm. Tell me how you felt about Superman. So Superman, uh, number 11. Let me just pull that up real quick uh, so I can remember everybody who worked on it and give them the appropriate credit. Uh, there we go. I really should have done this beforehand. you think I would. Uh, so Peter Tomasi, Patrick Gleason, uh, writing and on art there. And, uh, you know, we have... Nick Gray, Mark Morales, and uh Christian Alamy on inks. I didn't realize we had three people on inks, so that might explain a couple things in this. And uh John Calaisis on colors. So this issues, uh, this issue is a follow-up to Superman number 10, obviously. Uh but this is not the start of a new arc, is what I mean by that. After coming to blows, uh Superman and Batman put their kids, I wrote that terribly. Uh after coming to blows, the kids coming to blows. John and Damien, uh, Superman and Batman, put their kids in a special boot camp, sort of designed to make them become better heroes. As they work their way through the different challenges that are, say, facing Maya or having to deal with a uh, a wild Goliath, uh, they you know are progressing through. But they're not working together, which is the whole point of these various challenges and. Uh, eventually they run into a threat that they can't handle because they're not working together. And the two are sent back to the bat cave where they discover this weird clayface like monster, which is an amalgamation of all these different Batman villains, uh, that are holding Superman and Batman hostage. And the two are forced to work together to stop this, this crazy thing. And, uh, they seemingly have started sort of some kind of friendship, but not really. They're still at odds with one another and, uh, read super sons is what this book wants you to do. Uh, so I, I spoke fairly highly of, of the last issue. I liked the way that stuff was set up. Um, this first interaction between the characters. Uh, however, everything in this issue really kind of felt rushed and it was really sad for me uh i thought there was very solid setup and this really could have kind of been dragged out i don't want to say dragged out it could have been uh easily fleshed out into two issues uh and given some of these moments a little more time t- to play out given these the character moments a little more time to breathe and i think they would have landed a lot better i didn't really get a good sense of their uh of their new growing friendship um, the working together that the two characters did didn't feel any different than when they weren't working together uh, it ultimately comes down to Damien's like hey don't you have freeze breath and John's like you're right I do and that seems to solve the problem uh, and then ev- everyone's just fine Like there's zero consequence to this which is okay but I felt like the stakes could have, you know, the stakes could have been a little more present. Like when you find out that Batman and Superman are in trouble, you know, they're not, but you never actually feel like anyone in the situation really believes it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it, yeah, it, I just, I just really think this should have been an issue or this should have been a storyline that was expanded out into three issues instead of two. It's really Mm -hmm. just a prequel for super sons. And I'm really looking forward to super sons. Um, and i'm just hoping that you know what what i'm not getting here that i'm i'm disappointed by you know those those longer character beats the real strong foundation of their friendship does kind of get that room in its own book uh also the art feels rushed which is very sad you know having three people on inks that also kind of says to me that, Hey, this was divided up, you know, it was done and then divided up amongst three people to be done simultaneously and quickly as possible. Uh, there's just some panels that really, really look like, you know, this was done as fast as possible to meet a deadline. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I thought that Superman, uh, number 10 had, had really great, really well polished art. Um, and, and to, to see that kind of not followed through on this was, was disappointing for me. uh. And, and one note that I, I talked about teen Titans on here and how, and I, and I said this when I, in my, in my discussion of Superman number 10, that um, there's kind of a disconnect where teen Titans is all about how Damien is so alone. Uh, and yet in Superman, he has, you know, he has Maya, who he's working close with, who calls him uh, her little brother. And you have Goliath, who's his giant pet. Um, that he's not, you know, and he has Alfred, and and now he has John and Superman. Like, he's not really alone. This version of the Teen Titans, Damien, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And this further solidifies that because Damien even mentions uh, at one point, like, you corrupted members of my team. It's, it's, I I feel like putting Damien in a Teen Titans book, you're trying to draw over the Damien fans. Uh, But if it's, if there's sort of these inconsistencies along current running books, you know, and this isn't, this isn't even a continuity thing. It's a character thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just having these inconsistencies don't really work well for me. Most people will probably just kind of brush it off or they're Teen Titans fans and they won't even notice that the, this will be their first uh, introduction to Damian. And so maybe that makes sense to them. Um, but for me, it's, it's disappointing all in all. Uh, I'm not So that's two disappointments for the week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, I just want to say that I'm disappointed coming off of Superman number 10. And with the quality this book has been, I think your disappointment has been, you know, you were you were displeased with infamous Iron Man number one. Uh, and that didn't really pick up an infamous Iron Man number two. I'm coming from what to me was a high point and we're just kind of having a dip, but I'm hopeful that super sons and Superman number 12 are going to take that back on the upswing. Um, Mm So I'm more disappointed in Teen Titans than anything. But I feel like DC double
1: by shipping weekly their books go out of rebirth, rebirth, rebirth was a great idea in the sense that we got invested in the new status quo faster mm-hmm. or, you know, I feel like, you know, but I feel like it's something that maybe they should have ended after like the initial arc, like the first arc was going to double ship. So you'd get the first six issues in three months instead of six months and then allow the creators to breathe, slow down their workload and take it from there. Um, Because in this case, it's like, it's great when you get an awesome issue of Patrick Gleason, but I'd rather have more issues of solid, of solid Patrick Gleason over a long period of time then one really good issue of Patrick Gleason and then the next issue is him being rushed or God forbid, there's like a, a, a fill in artist, you know, doing half the pages or some of the pages and making the, the artistic aesthetic continuity all disjointed. So it's like from a marketing standpoint, from a, a business standpoint, I think the, the double shipping is a good way to draw people in. People are now drawn, drawn in. Rebirth is really successful um. let's give the artists and the writers a break and let them slow their roles and focus more on producing high-quality artwork than just trying to get a book out the door. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure with what you're seeing, a lot of people are seeing, and Patrick Gleason not speaking for him, not thinking for him, but I can't imagine that if he saw sees the same thing that we are seeing, that he as an artist, and, and most likely like most artists like a perfectionist, um, wouldn't want to make sure that people are, are seeing his would want to make sure that people are seeing his best work.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see how all that shakes down. And unfortunately we are not now comes to the point where we talk about a book that we've both read. Um, this is another one that we're both not super hot on, uh, but we'll get into the specifics of that. And that is reborn number two. Uh, this is the Mark Millar, Greg Capullo joint. Um, after dying, you know, the, the the quick synopsis on this one uh, is after people die, they go to this new world called Adestria. Uh, people cross over at various ages. Sometimes they come in as a child, sometimes as an adult. It all is kind of random. Anyway, in the first issue, this woman, Bonnie, died and showed up here. And now here she is. Uh, and she is the savior of the people. And she's going to save them all from the the, the bad guy who runs the Badlands. Uh, and, but she refuses to do that until she can find her husband. And this world is ten times the size of Earth. So, you know, she has a month to do that, even though her father has been looking for her mother, like, his entire time he's been there and has been unable to locate her. Uh, anyway... Uh, so putting their the plans for war apparently on hold she goes on her mission her first stop is the queen of the fairies which was an old friend of hers who is not happy to see her and dismisses her out of hand meanwhile we find out Bonnie's old cat works for the bad guy whose name was so uninspiring i can't even remember it uh oh well golgotha <laughs> i can't remember it either it's it's lord golgotha Go Lord
1: uh, Golgotha,
0: yeah. And so her old cat is working for Lord Golgotha and promises that he will kill Bonnie. And that's pretty much uh, pretty much it. Uh, Nick, you have a lot to say on this and uh, I have a lot to say
1: on a lot of stuff. Apparently.
0: You do, you do. So I'm going to go ahead. and I'm going to kind of throw my thoughts out there and then let you expand on them. Cause I think, I think my thoughts are a little more condensed version of how we both feel. And then I'll let you kind of expand on stuff. How's that sound?
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll ruin everything afterwards. Uh, well, my friend.
0: So my first thought on this is that the pacing in this issue is terrible. And I said this about the first issue as well. The pacing was just not good. Uh, Everything, everything feels really rushed and we never really get a chance to get a hold of what is going on. And I'm all for like throwing us in the middle of stuff and just letting it happen. But literally nothing at any point is getting explained. Uh, And nothing feels like it has any weight or any importance. Like she's talking to people here and they're just like, this is the way that things are. Uh, She's the chosen one because she's the chosen one. Uh, They're at war because they're at war. Uh, But there also doesn't seem to be any stakes of this war or any consequences of this war. They are in a town that seems to be, you know... Uh, within view of the badlands and people are living peaceful little lives. They aren't afraid of marching armies. They aren't about to retreat and and running away. The economy isn't in ruin. Their lives are just going on, but they're, they're fighting them off. Uh, And the world is 10 times the size of earth, but there's only one war going on. Uh, There's some really, really interesting ideas here, but the writing just feels really lazy like okay here's here's a really interesting idea oh and then she's the chosen one uh but don't worry about why she's the chosen one Uh, it's just like it just it's the idea that that our pets are here and apparently cats are evil i'm totally into that and but dogs are going to remain our friends and help us like there's there's really really cool stuff that is not at all paying off. And Nick, now I'll let you uh, talk and I'll, I'm sure I'll interject here and there. So, yeah,
1: no, definitely, definitely stop me. I'm mirroring a lot of what you're saying. Ultimately the book feels half baked. A lot of interesting ideas that don't feel cohesive, that just feel like there's a lot of them are throwaway lines. Um, like why does it, matter that especially you know because the, the book makes an emphasis that like she's gonna go find her husband and it's like saying that the world is 10 times or twice as large or whatever is earth is supposed to be is supposed to add sort of to the like the the impossible conflict of the whole thing like how are you gonna find someone the earth is already freaking huge compared to the size of a normal human and they don't like, have they don't you, have airplanes
0: yeah. she's, she's traveling on a dog yeah,
1: exactly. So you're trying to cover a, a landmass, a, a planet that's like twice as large as Earth, um, and you're hopefully going to find your husband in a month. The the scale and the this the, there's no sense of um. There, there's really no de- definition to this world. It's a fantasy world, um. You know, but people okay, have we have former issues. But like, why does it matter if people come in as a baby or as a or as an adult, or they even come, some people even come in as like an old person, like as far as like the, the sort of the physics or like the, the internal na- logic and nature of the world. Why? Now this is a question that could be answered, but it felt like a lot of this issue just had a lot of throwaway concepts that really won't impact the, the immediate narrative, which don't necessarily always need to impact the immediate narrative, but they felt like they are being th- thrown so fast and furious that I mean, I already didn't care about the immediate narrative, and I just have, like, like full stop, don't care about this world. Hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah it, yeah. it. And also, just kind of, I'm, I'm looking through it again right now. I noticed the first time, there's it's a fantasy world, but there's cars and people have cell phones, and I also just love that they're like, you're the chosen one, you're going to save us. I want to go find my husband. Okay. Bye. Yeah.
1: Bye. You get a month. Like, if she has a month to go find her husband on a world twice as large as Earth... It's... I, I'm i going to find like, a line.
0: I'm pretty sure he says it's ten times.
1: Like, but while you're finding it, regardless, Earth is already big, so twice or ten times Earth is incredibly large. If they're willing to give her a month to go find him when she's apparently been desperately needed for years and everyone's been anticipating her arrival, it just... Swipes the the immediacy of the threat that apparently everyone is facing um, um, I'm trying to think what other fortunately there was just a lot with this that that just wasn't working. I will say that the whole bit with general Frost the her her pet cat her former pet cat who is now who is a general of Lord Golgotha. Um, his whole thing is that he wants revenge on her for neutering him in his previous life, which is kind of an interesting way for the cat. Now it's probably doesn't mean that all cats are vindictive evil creatures in this world, but this particular cat made his way to the, the, the dark lands and, you know, has a, a grudge, you know, to settle. Um, but then at the same time, like her, her dog, is just like a normal dog. He might he might seem bigger, like he's he's more closer to like how He Man has like the super cat, battle cat, or whatever. Right. You know, like this is battle dog, but it's still a dog. Like he's not he's not humanoid. He's not talking like a he's not speaking English or anything. Um, but this cat is humanoid, speaking English. You know, has magic powers. And why? Why? Why is it just this cat? Or is it all cats? Again, questions that could potentially be answered, but a part of me doesn't feel confident that they will be and getting back to Bonnie, the main character. Oh yeah. The main character. I just don't care about her. I didn't care about her that much in the first issue, even though we kind of saw her life, you know, um, and you she, know, was, see, so, so.
0: she was, she so, was, sorry, I think about to get to this point. Um, but, you know, what you're going to mention is that the reason that she's so powerful is because she was so nice in life, but I felt like there was some stuff in the first issue where she was being mean to other people about like their beliefs and stuff like that and like the whole idea of an afterlife and like that's stupid to believe in that
1: yeah like she did it, like i'm just saying for a world so this is a world where when uh, presumably everyone dies they go to a, di- a Dystria or whatever it's called they go to this fantasy world and it's presumably been happening for at least several decades like when her parents died or whatever but presumably even longer than that like this is probably a way things have always been so you're telling me in the history of earth or as long as people have been dying coming to this world she's the first super super nicest person in the whole wide world that is the chosen one and she's gonna get all these magic powers just because like i mean Anytime male or female, a character just kind of wakes up and is like, by the way, here's superpowers, you know, you know, unearned. It always just kind of, it just feels fake. It's heartless. There's no, there's nothing compelling about it. I mean, be one thing if like, she already had the powers and she was like struggling to deal with them and it wasn't, and that she didn't get them because she was the kind of person that dedicated her life to others because then there should be like a bajillion chosen ones because tons of people have dedicated their lives to the to the plights of others and there's no reason why Bonnie who for all intents and purposes just seems normal like any other mm-hmm. normal kind of you know complex person should be this chosen one I don't get why she's the chosen one yeah, yeah. why everyone's been waiting for her. This, and, this and it's one thing to say it might they might reveal it later down the road, but they revealed in this issue that it was because she was like the nicest person.
0: Right. This, this is a storyline that feels like in another narrative, you would have kind of that cutaway to someone in the shadows who is like, Oh, everything's going according to plan. And, uh, and maybe, you know, because this book's, not looking to wear it on his sleeve that much but I don't get I don't get a sense of there's a bigger plan in this war it just feels like this is a fight that's going on you're the chosen one because you're the chosen one Uh, if there is someone pulling the strings we're not getting the hints of that and that like that just kind of leaves us like not just in the dark it just leaves us with this is what what you're what we're seeing exactly as it's presented to us is what it is and we're not liking it it's kind of it in it it, it it I'm gonna reuse this word, it feels lazy.
1: My bad. Um, yeah it, it it's it sucks calling it lazy because obviously say like Greg Capullo, you know, who had a fantastic run on Batman with Scott Snyder. No, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the writing. The writing feels lazy. You no know, the writing is lazy. And but that's where I'm kind of segueing a bit into that like who's art is almost always good you know he he's oh he's a very strong artist but even this compared to like his stuff on the super heavy or endgame arcs on batman his more recent arcs like it doesn't feel as well defined it feels a little bit rushed in places it just it just doesn't pop it, it doesn't feel as inspired now this is me speaking for me reading it capullo might feel completely different ways he's clearly dedicated his time to this i mean but I, f- I'm I feel not different but... his artwork on this like There's some cool page layouts, like there was that page layout in the first issue where her whole life kind of breaks like glass into her new form. Um, That was really, really cool. But other than that, I don't have a strong sense of this world, other than it's sort of kind of a fantasy world. Whether it's a fantasy world or not, and they have cars and cell phones, doesn't really matter. But it's supposed to be a fantasy world, but it doesn't have an identity. It's just, here's the good area, there's the bad area. That's it. We're at war, as you said. I'm just kind of regurgitating at this point. It's a book that need that needed, I think, especially in the first two issues, more of an identity, need things more thought out, more fleshed out. And there's, there's certainly opportunity for the book to to improve over the next, I believe, four issues. It's, it's supposed to be a six-issue miniseries. But again, this is something where I feel like two issues in, we should have a better sense of this world. We should be rooting for the characters and, 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 and be enjoying them on some level, even if we don't necessarily like them as people. It's not even that I dislike Bonnie or think she's a bad person. It's just like I just don't care as a reader. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when, you know, you want, no matter how your characters are, you want your readers to care about them. So Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that it's been a bit of a disappointing week. Uh,
0: Though I didn't, you know, I didn't talk about it. I did read Trinity this week. And you want to talk about a book that has really strong art and panel layouts? That book. Uh, the issue this week has some just fantastic uh artwork, fantastic panel layouts, um and I'm still enjoying the book overall. Uh so I, I just think the books we decided to talk about were kinda not the winners. Uh maybe it is a week where there was more negative than there was positive and unfortunately that's gonna happen yeah from time to time. Where maybe the maybe the good that was that we that was out this week was just kinda mediocre uh, but, hey, there's always next week, and there's plenty of stuff to love out there. So we're going to wrap stuff up real quick because we uh, we're about hitting our time here. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for sticking with us and listening. Uh, so real quick, we're going to get into some recommendations by asking ourselves.
1: You boys aren't nerds, are you?
0: Yes, we are. Uh, Nick, real quick, you got any recommendations you want to share with us here? Maybe, no. maybe, maybe oh
1: well, okay, um hopefully people are by the time this show gets up, um people are able to check it out uh if you haven't if you don't know about it already, you've already missed week one, there is a sale going on on the playstation network, um they're celebrating like their ten year anniversary of digital downloads or whatever, and um you can get some cool p s four games some cool p s three games uh, and like some movies and stuff, but whatever about that um but, I mean, like, there's some great classic RPGs on there. Like, currently for this week, you've got, like, Parasite Eve, Chrono Cross. Um, and then a game that I've been really interested in trying out that's, that was remastered for the PS4, Gravity Rush. It also has a sequel coming out. Um, you know, I feel like it might be worth checking out. But all I'm really doing is recommending that you check out, if you are a PlayStation owner, to go to the PlayStation store and check out the deal they have going on. Cause you're getting a lot of these classic like PS one, PS two classic, like RPGs and older games for like two bucks a pop. Hard to beat that. Okay. So that's what I'm recommending this week because I didn't really do anything else this week.
0: Nick, Nick, Nick. Uh, well, my recommendation, uh, is a little more abstract, but Amazon just released their best books of 2016. Uh, and they released their uh, best comics and graphic novel list and I'll throw this link up uh on our show notes so people can check that out. Um, but there is some really cool stuff there so if you're looking for some stuff to ask for uh this holiday season or some stuff to buy um you know there's uh there's stuff like Monstrous volume 1s on there, Ghosts, um Paper Girls volume 1, Dark Knight by Paul Dini uh uh vision number volume one uh there's there's a really cool mix you got you got a couple superhero books um but also a ton of uh of indie stuff thrown in there as well so uh check out the link in the show notes to find that well thank you everybody for listening this week and joining us as always uh we appreciate you listening and uh ask that uh, if you do enjoy the show that you would write us a review on um on itunes on stitcher wherever you find this show and also that you might, you would tell a friend who likes comics or is interested in comics uh so that we can spread the love uh, as always you can find us over at heckyacomics.com and uh, you can uh, find us on twitter at yeah Comics and write us some uh, some sweet sweet emails at heck yeah, at gmail.com you can find me a lot of places on the web i don't talk about this very much but uh, i'm on another podcast called geek cinema society uh at the on the blazing caribou network so look that up uh, i think people would really really like that i'm also uh, occasionally on the broke butt mountain uh, westworld fan cast out of blazing caribou I've been on a couple episodes so far, and there's still a few more episodes to go this season, so I'm sure I'll I'll get another chance to get on there. Uh, and, of course, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And you can find Nick attempting to find Dr. Doom in Bolivia by breaking priceless artifacts with his face, I'm assuming. Uh, as... Always, you can find the show next week, same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. ever.